Good evening, everyone. Thank you all for coming. Um, tonight's class um, is has been dedicated by Mrs. Uh, Esther Roth, and this is in honor of her, do her daughter's birthday, Sarah Malkavas Esther Hensha. May she have a shnas. It was on the twentieth of Shvat. May she have a shnas bracha natslacha, and only good, 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 a wonderful year. All the good should come pouring down to her and all that she needs and all that she wants and uh, all beyond that. The, uh, also in honor of her mother's yard site, Mrs. Roth's mother's yard site, Sheva Basrabitzak Isaac, may the Neshama, may her mother's Neshama have a wonderful Aliyah and send a lot of blessings to her and to her entire Mishnah. Thank you. So we are holding now round six of you versus yourself. And as we learned already in the previous, in the previous classes, that uh, the human or the Jewish, the psychology of the human being, or the Jewish, particularly a Jewish man and woman, is made up of a dark side and a bright side. Um, there, and that is due to the duality which is at the very core of, our, of who we are, is that we are made up of two souls. We have a soul of light and a soul of darkness. And generally, um, most of our experiences, which include desire and want, ideas and emotions and aspirations, all come all the things that, that make up our, our, our experience, our inner experience, is generally a blend of these two, of these two uh, souls. Uh, it's, 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 it's a mixture. That's why uh, we, we, we're, we're, we have in all of our experiences, it's, not, it's never pure, 100% pure good or pure evil. There is, there is good and bad in all of our all of our strivings and all of our doings. Um, this is because of the integration of both these souls. However, as a, as, a, as a result of our work, or the lack of our work, or our merit, or the lack of our merit, or sometimes independent of what a person does, or completely unrelated to a human being, we do have moments when one of these sides expands in a very, very, very powerful and a very strong way, and uh, it takes over and fills our entire space, our entire consciousness. So it can be in either directions. It can be at times it can be the the um, the godly soul, and we experience a very, 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 very bright moment, a moment of extreme spirituality. Very, very, we are soaring through the heavens. We have such a, a, a bright light and illumination shining within us our purest and holiest feelings and desires to reach for the godly, for the transcendental, or completely selfless and the like. And then there are times when the dark side emerges in its full ferociousness. And uh, we can experience extreme loneliness, extreme selfishness, greed, jealousy, hatred, lusts. Um, and uh, we can become uh, sinful go into the realm of, of, of doing sins and the like. And so that's, you know, the fluctuation 
various, if we can move to, to, to various extremes. Generally, we are somewhere in the middle, experiencing a concoction of both these souls together. Now, in order for a person to be more in control over their life, and not just be vulnerable to whatever wind is blowing, but that it should be something where, you, where a person can decide what kind of experiences, what kind of, which soul am I going to expand? Which soul am I, which, whose life am I going to live? Am I going to live a godly life? Am I going to live a selfish life, an animal life? So um, if we appreciate, so that's what we're studying, is the point of this class, to give us all the instruments and the tools to be able to make the best of our lives, which means to be able to live, which we hopefully all want to live. We want to live a life in which we fulfill our mission and our purpose, and that is the godly life. But the first step that, that, it, that is needed in order to be able to do that is to have the knowledge and to have the understanding of the mechanics or the mechanism of our soul, of our psyche, how these two souls operate. And that is what we've been learning in the last class, in the last few classes, we're learning, particularly as we started to learn the third chapter in Tanya, which today is the third class on the third chapter of Tanya, and that is that we were discussing the the makeup of the of this of a godly soul. How does it work? What is it made out of? So we learned that the soul is made up of ten powers. Uh, the ten powers are three intellectual powers and seven emotional powers, and that is what makes up the inner infant structure of our soul. The the intellect and the emotion. Now, um, in the earlier in the earlier class, last week's class, we learned the importance of the mind in our in our in our experience, and in, especially when it comes to the godly. Because the thing is like this: the main impetus, the main drive of a human being, the thing that is going to have the most influence on our life is our emotion. We can say that the core human being is their emotions. Their emotional, um, their emotional state of mind, the emotional experiences, physically it's also that way. The emotions are associated with the heart. And the heart is at the center of the human operation. And the reason for that is because emotion is, emotion is excitement. And excitement is energy. And energy leads to action. So a human being is the most influenced by their emotions. Now, unlike the animal soul, where the emotions are very, very accessible, the emotions are always in operation, they're always stimulating. With the slightest provocation, the, the slightest trigger, we experience really a full-blown emotion. The problem with the animal soul is not the emotion. The problem with the animal soul is restraining the emotions, because the emotions are constantly roaring and soaring like a blazing inferno. And the smallest thing, you know, we don't need to contemplate, go to a restaurant, you don't have to sit down and do serious contemplation and meditation to evoke within yourself an appetite and a desire for food. It's quite quickly. Uh, it's, the, it's the opposite, it's the restraining of not to eat too much and the like that, that we need. Because, and that is, again, by people, uh, you know, it can be people that have a desire for clothing and, and, and uh, fashion or cars or the, or the like. The small, you have to just, the, 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 the desirable thing that is appealing to your emotion, to the animal consciousness in man, if it just catches the corner of your eye, uh, you're already, your mind is already completely obsessed with it. And, and, 
exploring it from all different angles and the like of how am I going to access it? How can I have this pleasure? And how can I have this delight? And how can I get that money? And how can because the emotions are stimulated very, very easily. However, when it comes to the spiritual realm, when it comes to our godly soul, um, the emotions are just as important in order for a person to live a spiritual life, a life devoted to its holiness and spirituality and godliness, in order to live that life, the, the, the emotions are, as we said, the emotion is the main drive. Where your heart is, that's where the human being is going to be. You see, beyond this, we see within ourselves that if you are doing things which you're intellectually convinced, you have convictions of your mind, this is the right thing to do. But it's not something that speaks to your heart. You don't have any feeling towards it. So whatever you're doing, you're doing it dry, you're doing it, you're doing it, but there's lacking life and energy in it. But when you're doing something and you're excited about it, so that's where there is, the thing gets done with far more energy and life, and you usually do it better than if you're doing it without the emotion. So it's it's absolute must for a person to develop their spiritual emotions. But in order to develop the emotions of the godly soul, it takes a lot of work. And the reason for that is because the soul, in essence, just like the animal soul, has cravings towards the material and the earthy, the godly soul has just as powerful desires and wants towards the spiritual. It's only that the godly soul is outside of its environment. The animal soul is living on earth, living in the environment of what it desires and what it wants. The godly soul has been plucked from heaven and been put down into, the, into earth. Therefore, it, it's the, the stuff that is appealing to the godly soul, or the, the, that which is appealing to the godly soul, is more distant and removed. Even though the godly soul is a creature of heaven, during its time that it's residing in the body, it experiences all of its experiences as it is filtered through a physical brain. And since it's being filtered through the physical mind, the physical brain, it is restricted by the physicality. And that's why it takes a lot of effort for it to, to regain a sense and a feeling of the reality of spirituality, the reality of godliness, and the reality of the divine. So it takes a lot of mental focus. And that's what we've been learning in the last class. The absolute, the, 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 the crucial, why it is so crucial, and why it is so pivotal for a person to put in the effort in expanding their mind understanding, their, their intellectual, developing a holy intellect, developing an, an understanding in, in, in that which is God. So we learned last week the way in which one comes to know God. So God himself, of course, is not known, but a person can contemplate godliness. And the way we contemplate godliness is on three levels. Because Hashem <coughs> relates to the world on three levels. There's a level called, as we spoke last week, called Mamala Kalama, and that is where God is addressing every individual creature individually. Meaning he, he influences the creation in a very particularized fashion. He directs his influence to each creature in a manner that is unique to that particular being. So, which means he tailors his infinite energy and contracts it to give life to each creature in accordance to that which that creature to the, to the manner in which that creature needs to function and the like. So that is the Mamala, the indwelling light of Hashem. Hashem dwells in every facet of creation, every part of creation. He fills it with His energy, creating the design, the shape, and the form, and the character, and the style, and the flavor of every being and every, of, of, of every creature. But then there is a higher force that God uh, um, relates to the creation, and that is an infinite energy, 
which is called the encompassing light. This is only first order soul of Kalam. This light also has an influence on the creation. It's actually responsible for the very existence of the world. It makes, it brings the world into beingness from non-beingness. But this energy remains in its complete godly state, which means it remains in the infinite. It doesn't contract, it doesn't limit itself, it doesn't confine itself to the creation. From its infinite heights, it exerts its influence on the world. And this energy, this life force is, is present everywhere, but yet is infinitely removed from every being. It's beyond the experience, experiences of all creatures and of all beings, and is equally distant from the lowest creation to the highest creation, because it has not, it doesn't relate to the finitude of, of, of the worlds. So a microorganism is, is, is equally far from this infinite light as the highest sublime or celestial creature in the highest spiritual world. Because this light has not adapted itself. It hasn't been filtered, it hasn't been diminished. It's in its infinite power. And all of creation is infinitely distant and equally distant from Hashem's infinite light. That's called the soul of Kalam. The, these two, however, these two dimensions of divinity are both levels of godliness that, God, that are considered Hashem's light. They're projections of God. Projections of Hashem's, of Hashem's light that He is projecting for the sake of the creation. One level is a level of divinity that contracts itself to the individual creations, and the other one is the infinite light, which we might say something like this, Hashem's will that there should be a creation. That will encompasses all creation equally. <clears throat> but nevertheless, it's a will, which means it's already a desire coming from God that is, so to speak, emerging or, or exiting, so to speak, the divine essence. And that's the idea of it being a ray. It's a ray of the event, the ray of Hashem's life. God himself, however, is untouched and is un unscathed by creation. Creation doesn't impact him at all, the divine essence. Meaning that creation was created from a ray of godliness, not from him himself. Both these, the Ramana Kalam and the Solar Kalam, the indwelling light and the encompassing light are only rays of God, but they're not God himself. God himself, to him we say, as the Zohar says, Kula Kamei all of existence is not be, is all not before him. It's as if creation never happened. He transcends it infinitely. And that is absolutely important that we say that because we know that if not, it would mean that God would be impacted by the creation. He got involved in creating it. That means there would be a change in him before he created Now that he got involved in creating it and then after the creation, so there would be a change in him. And we know, God has not changed and doesn't change. Creation doesn't affect him at all. And that is because he remains above, un unaffected. So the, on the level of light, there is already a some kind of value to the creation. On the level of Hashem Himself, there is no value to the creation. Now this is important, I just want to say one thing. It doesn't mean that God Himself has no relationship with each and every one of us. And we're only relating to divine rays, not to God Himself. We are in a relationship with God Himself, and the reason for that is because God entered into relationship with the world by Matan Torah. Matan Torah is standing from Hashem's essence. The very place where all of existence is not and meaningless is where Hashem has reached for the world in a, to, to engage and get involved with us and to bond with us as a result of the Torah. When we're saying that the creation is not before us, it means the creation in terms of the intrinsic value of creation unrelated to the Torah and the mitzvahs. 
But the Torah and mitzvahs, that is already rooted in Hashem's essence. So that's just a parenthetical idea. When a person is contemplating God on any of these three levels, as we spoke last week, that the contemplation, in order for it to create an emotion, in order for it to create an excitement and a feeling towards Hashem, it cannot just be a very, it cannot be a brief contemplation. It has to be very thorough. And of course, one has to begin in meditating godliness, in making Hashem real and tangible in your life, you have to begin with the lower levels of, of godliness, which means one has to begin the meditation by thinking about how Hashem fills the world with His, with his light. And that everything that we see and everything we experience and everything that we know is a consequence of godliness. And over here, the meditation works when a person is getting excited about what? What is, what is the idea? You're thinking about how the, the, the multitudes, the variations, the complexity of the creation, how everything works in such perfect harmony. And that is, is awesome. To think about all the myriads and myriads of creatures, both in the sea and in the dry land, and all the habitats, and all different times of forms of life, and how many insects there are. We spoke about it at Greek Lens in last week's class, how that meditation has to be. We start with something very small, and then we expand into a greater understanding. Small, a, 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 first a, a contracted, uh, a small meaning, meditating Hashem's involvement in the world, His presence in the physical world around us, and Hashem's presence in the higher realms, and higher and higher and higher. Then, however, we come to a deeper understanding of God, which is the soul of Kalam, how God encompasses all of creation. And then finally, one can have some kind of an understanding, some kind of a feeling in that which is beyond even the Sovu Kalam, which is Hashem Himself, a place where Kula Kameh Kalash of all before Him is not. What is going to happen? What is the time to say? What is going to occur when a person does a thorough contemplation or a meditation on these above-mentioned ideas? If you do it correctly, then there has to be, and there will be, undoubtedly, there will be a powerful emotional reaction. And the reaction can be one of two things. One possible reaction that can be from this from this, um, from this contemplation, one possible uh, reaction can be that a person will be overtaken with a sense of awe, a very, very, very powerful sense of awe, a sense of fear, and a sense of dread from God's infinite glory, from God's infinite light. And that is when a person realizes that this immense being that's responsible for all of creation, for the cosmos, and he fills everywhere, and he's infinitely beyond it, and to him it means nothing. And this infinite being is right over here, right now, next to me. So what that, that causes a deep shake-up in the human being, where you become very insignificant, small, tiny. It humbles the person in a very powerful way. It's a fear that's associated with shame. And as we spoke last week, it's not a shame where you're ashamed of your actions, you're ashamed of what you've done. You just don't know what to do with yourself because you want to hide in the presence of something so great and so awesome and so big. It says when Mashiach will come, there's a passage that describes that people are going to be running like mad, like madmen. They're going to be looking for a cliff, for a, for, for a cleft in a rock for them to be able to hide in, in, a, in a place to hide because of the awesomeness of God. So that's the one possible reaction, a feeling of a, an intense contraction where you where you're, where you're feel Hashem so powerfully and you're trembling in awe before Him. The other possible reaction is the reaction of intense, a, a, an eruption of fiery love, 
a desire to cleave, a desire to get closer to this supreme, endless being. It will create, a, a, and as he describes it, as a longing, as a burning, as a sensation in the heart, where just like a person feels a longing to a physical thing, a person can feel a, 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 a feeling in their heart, a strong thirst and a longing, and the, 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 the feeling can get so intense and so powerful, where the desire, the, the feeling that a person is feeling is the desire to break out of the constraints of their physical body. Because again, first, the first element of this, of this, of the, of this desire is, the, the, it's the longing, it's the, it's the desire to rise beyond the, their, the, the, the physical experience. Because when a person meditates, I, as in right now, where am I living? I'm living in a body, and I'm living on planet Earth. Which means I'm living in the physical, in the physical dimension of existence, which is the last, and where the divine energy is the most minuscule, is the most minute. And how much of the world am I experiencing in my tiny little body? It's tiny, very, very small. My experience is so minuscule, so nothing. And yet I have pleasure, and yet I have delight. But this is just the last, last, last manifestation of God's pleasure, of God's life. So when the person is yearning for the experience of divinity of God as He manifests and as, he's, as His light shines in a higher realm, in the spiritual world. And this is what King David, see these feelings of intense love and yearning for Hashem, is what David HaMelech expresses in Tehillim. David HaMelech was the heart of the Jewish people. Experience for us and as an expression of His neshama, of our souls, it's through, it's through His through His heart, and through His song where He expressed the feelings of all Jewish souls. And this is what he says in one of his verses. He says, um, uh, My soul is, is, is burning. I'm longing. My soul is expiring. I feel, I feel like my soul is going to burst. My, I can't, my, my, my heart, my physical heart can't contain it. I'm yearning with such a burning passion. For what? To the courtyards of God. What is the courtyards of God? The courtyards of God is referring to God, divinity, as God is manifesting in the supernal worlds. The supernal worlds are called the palace of Hashem. Down here below is not the palace. It's the out, far, far, far country, a far, far land. But up there, it will be the palace where Mashiach will come. But up there in the supernal worlds where God's light is shining brightly, that's called the Chatzros Hashem, the courtyards of God. So King David is saying, I'm, I'm burning up. I can't stand it that I'm stuck in this physical body. I want to ascend to the higher worlds. I want to experience God's light, the pleasures, and the light of Hashem that is shining in the chatzos Hashem, in the, in the courtyards of Hashem. But then he goes a step deeper in another verse. And David HaMelech says, My soul is thirsting for Elohim. Over here, he's not saying to the courtyard of God, but Lelokim to God Himself. He's referring to the second level of godly light, the Hashem's light that is not projected in the creation through the creation or filtered to fit the creation, but Hashem's light in its full expansion, in the infinite. That's why he's saying, Tzamanashi Lelokim, to God Himself my soul is thirsty. It is burning, it wants to just be consumed in God's light. And then finally comes a Pasuk in Tehillim where David HaMelech says, I'm thirsting for you, 
That's referring to God himself, not any manifestation of divinity. The other verses are speaking about Hashem's name, Tzalman Nafshi Lelokim. Here it's Tzalman Lechon Nafshi, to you I am thirsty. So this is the, 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 the feelings, the emotions that the soul is capable of feeling. Now this is important, of course, to understand. That when, when the author, the Tanya, is speaking over here in this chapter about these emotions, he describes them in very, 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 very intense terms. What kind of fear, what kind of awesome, trembling fear, and he, fear, he talks of fear in the highest, purest form. Fear of God's exaltedness, a fear of shame which is something which we, we speak of by great tzaddikim. When he speaks of love, he's also speaking about love of such burning passion where the person is holding by a moment where he doesn't know if he can contain that love. He's ready to melt and be subsumed in God's light. So that kind of love, is that, is that relatable to every soul? The answer is yes. If we're talking about the soul, when the soul is unhindered, when the soul is uninfected, affected, it is not disturbed by the body yet. See, he's analyzing in this chapter the soul on its own. If the soul would be in the physical body without an animal consciousness, that would be interfering. If there wouldn't be a cell phone getting in the way. If there wouldn't be earthly needs, desires, and problems, and bills to pay, and all kinds of other headaches that constantly interrupt and don't allow us to focus on spirituality. But if all those things wouldn't be there, and would allow our neshama to have its full, its full meditation, so then the emotions that would emerge, every single soul is capable of such powerful feelings towards Hashem. Of course, we learned in the last chapter, higher souls, would, it, would, it, would, it would take less effort, lower souls, more effort, but every soul is capable of this. Of course, once the soul is already, once we're lived in the body already for 20, 30 years, so then there's all kinds of tune-ups that are necessary because various different pipes and various different uh, wires got slightly disconnected and severed and not exactly through sins and the like and it was clogging up the pipes and various different things that sometimes we need chuva, which is like a rotor rooter to clean out the, 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 the pipelines so that when we meditate and the like, the emotion can reach the heart. But a pure soul that has not been affected, which he's analyzing this chapter, should ought to feel such intense, powerful spiritual yearnings or feelings of awe of Hashem, and that should be by every single person. Now, one more very important thing to notice is it's important the subtleties of, of the psychology that the, that the Tanya is now developing. And that is whenever a godly, since the, in, in the divine soul, the godly soul, the emotions require a lot of mental exercise until they're born. Unlike the animal soul, where the emotions are triggered very quickly. But over here, they need a lot of mental thinking. It's for that reason that the emotions are always first appear in the mind, and only after the appearance of the emotion in the mind do they emerge in the heart. Which means initially, when a person, even when a person meditates properly on that which one needs to meditate, you will not experience a fiery burning and sensation and, a, and an explosion of the heart immediately. What will first happen is that a person will have the emotion in the brain, which means you'll feel some kind of a conviction of your mind. Your mind is telling you, A, you ought to get excited, this is awesome, this is great, you should be fired up about it. And only after the mind will give you the conviction, then later it will translate into the heart. And this is due to the, as we spoke earlier, that the emotions are called offspring, they're called children of the intellect. And we find that the relationship of a child to the parent, to the mother, 
It works that way. First, a child exists within the mother, and that is in the pregnant state. And then later, the child is born and emerges as an independent outsider, as a being onto its own. Right? So the same is also with the emotions. Emotions initially begin within the mother, which is the bina. The bina is the understanding. As a result of a person's thorough grasp of the subject, in our case, thorough grasp of godliness, of a, some, some idea of the divine, that will create an emotion. It's an intellectual emotion. It's not that much of an emotion. It's a leaning of the mind, when the mind is leaning towards a feeling, whether it's a feeling which is demanding. The mind is demanding a response of the heart, that it should respond with awe or dread or fear, or it should respond with love. And then later, this emotion will develop into a feeling of the heart. Now, however, there is one more and very, very, very important element, which is absolutely necessary for the ingredient, for the soul, to, um, for the emotion to be born. And that is that we also have to make use of the third faculty of the brain. First, the third faculty of the mind, which we didn't yet, we haven't yet discussed in the earlier classes. Earlier we discussed, we mentioned briefly that the mind, the intellect, is, has three powers: chachma, bina, and das. Chachma, which means uh, wisdom; bina is understanding. And we elaborated on the chachma and on the bina element. Chachma is the epiphany, the idea to conceive of a new concept. The bina is the idea to uh, the, the analytical element of the soul we can fully develop the idea with all the details, examine it from every angle and from every perspective. But then there is the third element called Das. What does Das mean? Das means, loosely translated, it means knowledge. Generally, knowledge means information. But over here, knowledge doesn't mean information. In terms of one of the powers of the soul, as Das, it means the ability to be able to have a mental connection a strong mental connection with the subject matter in which you're conceiving and which you're understanding. But it's very possible that a person should contemplate ideas and they're not connecting to the very ideas that they thoroughly understand. You can understand something and you can appreciate something, but that, that, that entity which you're appreciating, you're not connecting to it. You're distant, you're removed, you're not there. That means to, to put yourself to bring yourself close, to bring yourself into the experience. To the point that that's, that element of what you are contemplating, you can almost touch it and sense it and feel it in your brain. And it becomes very, very real to you. Because we said earlier, the only reason why in the godly soul we need so much contemplation in the first place, in order to create, to create an excitement, an emotional excitement, is because of the abstractness of, of, of divinity is because we're living in a physical environment where physical phenomenon is very real and spiritual phenomenon is very distant. So it's possible for a person to have a mind experience, but yet it would still remain abstract, it still remain distant and unrelated and unreal to others. That's is the idea of making it real, which is a certain focus. It's focusing. It's fixing your mind very, very strongly and being zero completely. And that which you're, and that which you're understanding. Um, that's why in Hebrew we use that the, the term das is used for a 
um, for connection in many cases. For instance, when Adam Arishan got married to Chava, as the Torah says, Adam Yada as Chava, and later and she conceived a child. So the marital union, which brought about the birth of the first human being, Kayan, is, is, is called Yada, knowing, because it's a, it's a union, it's a connection, it's an aspect of knowing. So knowing means to connect, to connect to whatever it is you know. The, the sages tell us that a katan in das, a child, before their Barabbas mitzvah, before a girl is 12 years old and a boy is, is, is 13 years old, they have no das. It doesn't mean that they're not smart. There are a lot of children that are very brilliant, very, very smart, but they're lacking the ability to feel the reality of things. A child feels only the reality of his or herself. A kid feels the reality of something else. That's why you can't put responsibility on them. You can't have a nine-year-old child babysit. You go away for a couple of hours and have a nine-year-old babysit uh, the, the, the other children or a little baby. Even though the child knows, and he can explain it to you exactly, why it's very dangerous for the little baby to be on the floor and pick up small little Legos. Because he can put it in his mouth and God forbid, he can choke. And the child can explain it to you. But then yet, the mother goes away and this little nine-year-old is gonna go out and get busy on his Nintendo or whatever other game that he's playing. And it's not because he doesn't have the understanding, because he's lacking in the dust. Oh, by him it's not real, real. There is a baby. This is my brother, this is my sister. This is, and I'm responsible. And, 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 and God forbid, what could happen if the child gets a hold of the wrong thing and puts it down his throat? That's not real. An adult has the reality, the awareness. Or oh, every moment, oi, oi, there's a child, there's a baby. That's das. It's very real. It, it's living, it's, it's pervading your space because it's, 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 there's, you're, you're connected to it. You're connected to it. It's hargosh, it's feeling the reality. That's the difference between a good author and a bad author. Many people can write stories. A good author is able to write a story. And you read the story and the story is alive. You're there. And it's not that they give it you, you know, both of them told the same story. But one of them paints every color of the flower and the clouds and exactly what the sky felt like and the wind and the breeze coming and the blowing on the face. And you're there, you're living the story. And the other one just tells the story. But you're not there, there's lacking of that. It's a difference between a book you can't put down. And you're in the story. There are two people who went to, who watched a movie. And it can be a very strong movie. Okay, it's a movie that, uh, let's say the movie has a certain sadness to it. And one person can't sleep for the next uh, uh, two weeks. They're so heartbroken by what they've seen. And the other person saw the movie. What was the difference? One of them went to see the movie on a big, in a big theater. And they saw it in a, in a, in a, in a not just in an IMAX. And there were 30 speakers, surround sound. And they got these 3D glasses. And they lived. So then when they, the whole experience, they were fully, fully impacted because they were fully there. The other one watched it on their, on their iPad. So a little, so it's the same story. But the das is much stronger when, when you're in it. All these special effects take you into it. That's the das. Get you, so the whole, the, 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 the story registers much deeper in you. So you feel it, you feel it, and it's like you've, you've been there and you can't push it out of your mind. And that's the secret in, in, in creating strong, real emotions towards godliness. We must have das. And what is it, how, how do we exercise das in, 
in, in, um, in our ruchnius, the galach, in our spiritual life, in our pursuit of, of godliness, and that is that when we study something, whether it is some aspect of Jewish mysticism, some aspect of the mystical ideas, some aspect of what the Kabbalah and the like, Hasidism, that are teaching us about the divine reality, we can study it and we can understand it very well. But then there is, a, then there is the idea of taking that very subject and thinking about it for five minutes straight. Not in order that you should understand it better. That's called the, that's the focus of Bina. Bina is the focus of understanding something better. See, two people are standing, go to, go to the museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and both of them are standing and looking at the picture. But one of them is using their Bina as they're looking at the picture, and the other one is using their Das. What's the difference? The Bina experience is the person who's analyzing, they're an artist, and they're analyzing this painting, they're looking to understand exactly what, what, was, what, what kind of brush was used, what were the strokes of the artist, and the like. So that's an analytical kind of a, you're fixing your mind, the other one is just standing and looking at the picture, and they're completely in a trance. They're living the, the, the whatever the artist is trying to portray in that picture, whether it's in a deep human emotion coming out of the face of a child, or a war, or some beautiful scenery, a sunset, they're there, they're so taken by it. This is a fixing, this is a das meditation, and this is a bina meditation. So there is a, a type of bina exercise. When we're learning something, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be happy in just glazing over things, but to really learn it, and learn it well, to really, really understand it. But when that is over, one has to contemplate. And the best time for this is really prayer. That's really what prayer is all about. It's a time of having das in elokos, das in godliness, which means that whatever you learned, whatever you studied, you should always learn something inspirational before prayer. It's a really a halach and shulchan aruch, that before prayer, a person has to contemplate the greatness of God and the lowly, right? And then, as it says, Hasidim and Rishayim, the early pious people would, 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 would wait a full hour before every prayer. And then they prayed for like nine hours. And what was the idea? is that you take that very idea which you understand really well and you really think about it, it. Think about it and attach yourself to it. For instance, when you're saying in prayer, blessed is the one who said that the world, that the world was created. A person can say that and say, yeah, blessed is God who spoke and the world was created. And you even have the deeper and Hasidic interpretation of this. That means that God's letter, like the Balshantov says, is creating the reality. And that everything that's around, everything in the world is created only through divine speech. That's the, that's the energy in all that I see. You can do that and go for next. You're already holding by the next word. Or you can stop for a moment or so and let the words think, uh, sink in. Let it enter deeply inside of you. You're thinking, yes, that Baruch blessed is the one who spoke and the world was created. That means that right now, right now as I am standing in this room, my hands, my feet, my brain, my all of my body, the sitter in front of me, all the people in the shul, the table, the air that I'm breathing, whatever I, I feel and sense right now is created at this very moment by God, not only created by God, its entire existence are words, divine letters. Right now he's making me, creating me, speaking me into existence. And don't take your thoughts off that idea for a minute, two, three, as in today's day, it's very hard because most people are very, very, 
uh, uh, we call ADD and don't have the patience to sit and think about anything for, for more than 30 seconds. But this is pivotal because without this, the Tanya says, even if you're going to experience an excitement in your heart, he says it's going to be fantasy. It's not a real feeling. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just an imagination. In order for any emotion to be real and concrete and to be lasting and to be true as a real feeling, you have to have the das. Das is the root that connects the intellect to the emotions. It gives them life, gives them vitality, and gives them energy. And here we have, so here we have the complete picture of the human, of, of, of the inner infrastructure of the godly soul. Its powers are the power of the mind, and the power of the mind when utilized in the right way through the Chachma Bina and finally in the Das, then we can, then the Neshama will, then we will experience uh, an emotional, emotions towards God. The emotions are seven emotions. In this part of Tanya, he only discusses the first three primary emotions, which, are the, which is the love of Hashem, which is the Chesed, and the awe of God, which is the Gevura, and also the feeling of Teferis, which is the feeling of you're priding yourself with the beauty of godliness. You want to praise it and the like. All the other emotions are offshoots of these emotions and they're not as important, at least not in this point of now, of, of, in, in our study, to analyze them. So Bezos Hashem, next week's class, we're going to continue and we're going to move to the next part of the soul, which are the powers of expression, which are the what we call the garments of the Nisham which are the most important part and when it comes to realizing our purpose in this world, what counts the most is not the feelings, the inner feelings of the human being, but the behavior of the human being. And the behavior of the human being is related to the garments of the soul, which are thought, speech, and action. But for that, as a session, we're going to leave it for next week. Everybody have a wonderful week. And, uh, Yes. Yes. I actually have a lot of questions. Yes. Yes. One is, uh, let's say I listen to like Mozart, my favorite composer. Yeah. And I just love listening to him, but I don't really know a lot about like the fundamentals of music and mechanics. So let's say maybe as someone who does know all these things, who, like who's. Who's enjoying the music more? Depends. You see, if that, the person who knows all the mechanics of it can lose themselves in the music, if they can lose themselves in the music and not be analytical when they're listening to it, then, um, then they can experience a far deeper sensation in it because of their appreciation of all the nuances and how amazing it is that you might not be knowing about it. So, the, but the problem with, but I, I hear, see, the, a lot of times the very bina experience of of getting to know the details are, is not allowing you to just to just let let go and allow the music to fully encompass you. So knowledge can be a knowledge can sometimes be a can be an hindrance. Yeah, that's why it's important. Uh, that we have set times when we do the bina, when we do the das. Davening is not a time to be sitting with a safer and looking inside and reading, because that's bina, even if it's a good safer. Davening is a time that whatever you learned earlier, to just 
Exactly, the, the thing is that das means connection, connectivity, feeling it being the reality of things. And Adam Arishon, when God created him, was a being of goodness. He was a being of goodness. He's created the image of God, and he's a being whose only real sense of reality is holiness and godliness. He was supposed to live a life of a test in this world. The test would have been, if Adam not eaten from the tree of knowledge, the Yetzahara would have been an outside tempter, temptation. Outside, trying to like work on distracting him. What God did not want Adam to do was that he should have a knowledge of evil. A knowledge of evil meaning that that which is unholy should become real to him, just like the holy. When he ate from the tree of knowledge, it's exactly what happened, was that he, entered, he allowed the klipa, the darkness, to, to enter into a state of das, which means that it's very, very real, and we haven't rid ourselves from it until and today. And that's why like, all the evil in the world like, stems from that one act. That's right. Because a human being became far more vulnerable and far more attached to unholiness at that time. Because as I did, told him he wasn't attached to that It was a reality, but he wasn't attached to it. Like abstraction. An abstract abstraction, that's right. Now it's Take care, everyone.